Welcome to episode number 62 of the Bearded Marketers Podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. We bring you the latest and greatest that's going on in the world of internet marketing every week, every Monday morning. You can find new episodes at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast. Of course, like every other podcast, we're on iTunes and Stitcher Radio as well. Leave a rating. Leave a rating and review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. iTunes or Stitcher, however you prefer to listen to us. What are you drinking tonight to get into the mood to bring everybody the latest? I had a Presbyterian, a little bit of Buffalo Trace, Goslings, a little bit of lime. How about yourself? I'm doing a Moscow Mule. That's our sort of go-to. Outside of scotch, straight scotch. Right. Uh, Always Moscow a refreshing Mule. That's drink. That's our go-to. Ginger beer, Goslings is a must. Diet is what I prefer. You know, it's summertime. You got to <laughs> watch the waistline. <laughs> and then vodka of your choice. Pretty much how I do it. A little bit of lime juice. 360 is what we are using tonight, which is actually a very affordable vodka. It's pretty good. Organic or something? I don't know. Yeah, I, sometimes I just don't believe that kind of stuff anymore. Uh, I don't either. <laughs> Let's just jump right into it. All right. First and foremost, semantic markup. Ooh, sounds technical, but we're going to break gonna, it on down. I'm going to break it on down for all right, you. All right. Button tests. I'm just going to leave it at that because it's going to be a little bit of a rant corner. So we'll get into that. I'm going to get my red foreman on. Twitter growth and video. What is new on the horizon? Things that you need to take into consideration. We've had a lot of great success there. So we can talk about that and also talk about maybe the future on Twitter and how you need to plan accordingly. Usability testing, how do you do that on a budget? How do you construct a program within your company to do that? And how can you conduct those in an effective manner and avoid some of the pitfalls out there? Last but not least, what are our friends in Mountain View doing? Google Corner, you got to check up on them because they are so important. But kicking things off, semantic markup. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? Semantic markup, you know, we've talked about this on previous podcasts, little tips and tricks you should pick up, you know, how to embed videos in your Google search results and all of these sorts of things. So essentially, uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Google are the main players that sort of take advantage of this. If you want your things, your website shared properly across all of the social networks, and if you want your website to show up with any of those rich snippets inside Google, having little preview pictures or whatever it is, you need to pay attention to semantic markup. The problem is that it's incredibly complex. Oh, yeah, and different. There's schema.org. Facebook has its own version. Twitter has its own versions called cards. Uh, You know, it can be really complicated and complex. You could spend hours and hours trying to figure out which features you need to pay attention to and which ones apply to your website. So searchengineland.com broke it down for us. I'm going to run through the five most common ones that you should pay attention to. And luckily, they're pretty easy and straightforward. Obviously, we'll tweet this out to everybody if you want the real deets. But number one on the list, Facebook Open Graph. Oh, yeah. So this is going to apply if you want someone to be sharing your website on Facebook. This will help you pull in a great URL for the current page that they're on, any pictures, and a good title tag. So pay attention to Facebook pictures Open Graph. Pictures that you have control over, so it's not exactly. just grabbing random ones. Yes. Number two, and this is super important on Google. So this is going to help pull in breadcrumbing on your Google search result mm. pages. So this helps people sort of understand where they are on your website, depending on the kind of search they can do. So the example they have on Search Engine Land is a Yelp search listing for Del Taco, uh, which is a great store to head to if you want some tacos in San Diego, California. The breadcrumbs, though, for Yelp specifically are restaurants and then fast food. So it sort of helps you understand, okay, this is exactly what I'm looking for, Mm -hmm. right? So pay attention to breadcrumbs, Google search results. Again, we're going to tweet some of these things out so you can really get some of the specifics on that. Number three, 
products and ratings. Oh, so important these days. Uh, yeah, obviously doesn't apply to everyone, but specifically for e-commerce or local examples like restaurants like we just Service gave an example industry. for. Mm-hmm. Those are hugely important. For example, I went and got my car windows tinted today, and looking up Google reviews was part of that process. So just starting to grow as in more and more service sectors out there. So it's becoming something that you need to pay attention to because Google has for a while now made it an effort to bring in more rich information to their search results to help differentiate them. And reviews is just a, a natural extension of that. So definitely need to be paying attention to that stuff. Right. So this one, it's going to depend, you know, in your example, it's going to depend on what kind of industry you're in, which allows you to pull in things like star ratings, number of ratings, pricing, number of reviews, and other sort of product-specific information into your search engine results in Google, you know, out-compete some of your competitors and get better click-through rates. Mm -hmm. Number four, Google authorship. Now, this has been, I feel like, huge lately. I have... This is one of those one specific ones that we mentioned on one of the recent podcasts. I have some complaints about it. I feel like it does not apply if you're not specifically a blog. kind of bugs me when professional websites have a Google Plus authorship profile attached to their main website with someone's goofy Google Plus picture attached to it. makes no sense to me. But if you have a blog or, I don't know, if you're like the bearded marketers and maybe your brand is associated with someone in particular or a couple people... I think it definitely applies to you guys. So pay attention to Google authorship as well for Google search engine result pages. The last one, but not least, video object schema. That's Mm -hmm. scary when you say it like that. But if you're doing anything in video, which you should be, because everyone needs to be in video right now in internet marketing. Spend some time and do it well. It's just my small caveat on that. Wistia, shout out for video hosting. Friends of the show. Don't do Vimeo, don't do YouTube. Hook it up with some real professional hosting, Wistia. Also check out their tutorials. Great section on understanding how do you need to shoot for the web, be able to create video on the cheap, but also be able to produce it well, and also some time-saving tips as well on how do you write for video, things like that. Yeah, I mean, that's what we modeled our video studio after Mm -hmm. some of those Wistia tutorial videos. So great information out there if you're going to do videos. Anyway, so this allows you to pull in the sort of little thumbnail pics from your videos, little play icon, the length of the video, things like that, which YouTube has had forever. But if you, again, host your some, your videos with like Vimeo or Wistia or anything else outside of YouTube, it definitely helps to pull in some of the information sure. and help people identify that that's a video that they're looking for. So those are the five easy ones to pay attention to. Outside of that, you have some fringe cases that maybe you need to pay attention to some scheme of things. But those are the main five important ones. Again, we'll tweet those out because there are some technical things associated with that, which I can't really describe over over the podcast. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. All right. So that's that on that. What do you have on button tests? Well, this is going to be a rant corner Uh, for uh, a little bit. So, you know, as we've talked about on the show, we both have a lot of experience in the testing world and... Some people have not progressed past 2005, and I am shocked to still see as many button test write-ups and blog posts that I do. And I just want to say out there, stop it. Just stop right now with the button color tests. First of all, if a button increases your website performance 95%, I'm going to either call (laughs) bullshit that you're lying Right. Two. Your website sucks and you're not marketing it well or your description is terrible Mm -hmm. and people are just looking for a way to go to the next step and they can't read what you're doing. 
Or three, we're just going to bring it back around and say your website actually does suck. So, <laughs> I'm and curious where you came up with this 95%. It okay. sounds awfully specific well, for an example. I, I actually came across head. a blog post. I'll, I'll omit they claimed that it increased the click-through rate 95%. Well, if you check out this blog post, this is actually where bullshit comes in mind. You actually read the article, and they talk about button copy tests, you look at the variations that they tested. Number one, you did a sequential test. Right. That yeah. ain't a test. Number two, you didn't just change the button copy. Yeah. The, the headline, the copy is completely different. The design creative is completely different. You got some whack-ass buttons on your site that yeah. you're doing in this test. You are passionate about well, this one, I yeah, can tell. Well, the reason why that is is because I feel like this is retarding the entire industry. It caused people to focus really heavily on things like button color, these small little things, and it doesn't get people testing on the things that really matter. And honestly, if you're doing a good enough job at developing your value proposition, you have great design, a well-thought-out product, honestly, unless your button completely blends in with the design, it shouldn't really make that much of a difference. You should be doing a great job marketing what you have to offer. And so that transaction of adding to the cart or submitting that lead information should be an easy process. And honestly, your button shouldn't make that much of a difference. The more and more that we come out with this stuff, again, I question a lot of this data. You have 200, 95%, even 30% lift with just changing button copy or coloring. Again, I, I'm severely questioning either your website or your design is straight terrible and people are missing the button or your test is just crap. And that makes me infuriated because, again, I, it keeps people from testing the real things. Now, maybe that does help us when we work with clients and that's all that they're <laughs> testing and we can help them test the real things. But yeah. as marketers, I'm going to challenge you guys to stop paying attention to that stuff. Stop tweeting that because that's the reason why this stuff gets perpetuated. It's all the stuff that gets tweeted out. It's easy to churn. But we as marketers, we need to demand better tests, better case studies, and stop believing the hype and honestly look really critically at these type of case studies and think to yourself, if you're a user, would it really make that big of a difference? Right. Like, do your own BS filter in your mind when you're reading some of this stuff. Does that even pass the sniff test? And it, it really bothers me that here we are in 2014, and we're still doing button copy and button color tests and saying that this is the bee's knees and that you need so, to pay attention to this. So I'm not going to be quite as negative as you are about this. I think there's, a, there's several problems. You've mentioned a few of them already. I think, number one, I think this sort of CRO industry is still very young and very new to a lot of people. So things like that are impressive to them because they're not familiar Even with the industry. Even if it's fake data. Right, exactly. <laughs> I think, number two, there's a big problem, I think, in this industry with case studies and just people running tests in general, putting too much trust in the tools themselves and that, oh, I hit a 95% validity, I'm done, it's done, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen that in button tests before is you hit a 95% validity immediately, but if you actually let it keep continue running, the results flatline, and you don't end up with a 95% increase. You end up with a 5% increase, right, which is potentially possible with a button test. Or in this case, if I were to run a test like this, which I wouldn't, but if I was forced to do it and I got 95% gain, I would immediately say something's wrong with the test. Right, yeah. I broke something on yeah. the control or something. I wouldn't even send this out to the company. I would do extensive research on what I did wrong 
to arrive at these results because there's no way that that would happen. That's a good point. I think the last thing is that it just really appeals to all the people who are out there working with the sort of optimizelys and the visual website sure, optimizers. Sure. Buttons are things that they can very easily test with those tools. If you are trying to use something more complicated than that, then it's tough. Mm-hmm. It's actually hard to run conversion rate optimization tests. So button tests appeal to people in a lot of different ways. I can sort of understand why people put that content out there and why they retweet it, but I think you're right. We Stop need to it. put it into it yeah. now, today, Marketers right demand now. better. Start questioning these people. Yeah, I, think, yeah. I think that's where it sort of starts. Is So if you see articles like that, leave a comment that says, are you certain about the validity of this test? What about all the other things you changed? Start questioning people. I think that's important in this industry. People are going to run around touting statistics and science then a follow-up from that is questioning things. That's what that's all about. So, Not to discount all the publishers, even marketing experience, they do have some good stuff out there. But again, this is just one example of the many out there. As marketers, we've got to get smarter with this stuff. So moving right along, I think that's enough of a rant, but I am so fired up about that. Woo! All get right. it. Next thing, you're the social media Stats, mogul. charts also professional oh, yes. on this so show. So Twitter... Let's talk about their growth, and particularly in the video space. I know we've had a lot of success there, which we'll get into in a Mm -hmm. little bit. Uh, Maybe give some tips and tricks out there to people. But talk about Twitter's growth and why, if you're not paying attention to it, why should we spend some time on that? So you sort of hinted at that we've had a lot of success with Twitter. We've had a lot of success with other companies who aren't necessarily directly related to internet marketing, which I could see Twitter working well for. But Twitter's on the move, man. Twitter's growing a crazy pace, especially outside the United States. Oh, yeah, international. So I'm going to drop some numbers on you right now. Okay. Take, a, take out your pen and pad. Okay. Twitter's user base will increase 25% in 2014. That's what? worldwide, right? So, you know, wow. you thought Twitter was done and over nope. with. Nope, it's still growing. And it will continue with double-digit gains through 2018. This is all according to eMarketer. Got a shout-out okay. to them, eMarketer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I'm assuming they mean relative gain at this point. Yes. So 2012, we're looking at 140 million users. 2013, 182 million users. By 2018, they're estimating 386 million users. So massive growth for them. Again, though, it's this growth is not happening here in North America slash the United States where everything matters because this is where a majority of the Twitter ad spend mm-hmm. takes place, right? All this growth is coming from specifically the Asia-Pacific markets. That's where they're experiencing all of this massive growth, which I think hints at... So Twitter ads have obviously been successful for us. We've always limited our campaigns to the United States and maybe Canada. I don't know if we pay attention to those people or not. Sorry to all the listeners. <laughs> but I think Rob it points, said that, not me. <laughs> I think it points to an opportunity outside of the United States that Twitter's ad revenue is 75% based in the United States. But all of their growth is coming outside of the United States. So I think it points to a huge opportunity for people who have websites who sell things internationally or services slash products, whatever it is, take advantage of Twitter because they have a massive user base that is not being taken advantage of. I mean, that tends to be the case with a lot of things. Sure. Uh, But Twitter specifically, there's a lot of growth that's going to be happening outside of the United States over the next few years. So pay attention to it if you sell things internationally. One more thing I wanted to talk about Twitter, because I love Twitter. There's been a new video sharing experiment that has been going on, which is, I think it's primarily focused on the iOS app itself. So if you do a hashtag something, 
it'll actually pull up recommended related videos that you mm. can actually attach to your tweet and then mm-hmm. share. And they've sort of revamped the way that you can watch videos as well inside the iOS app. I think that this just, again, just points to massive opportunity on Twitter with sharing videos, embedding videos themselves inside Twitter, which you have to apply to. If you have videos on your website and you want them to be embedded on Twitter, you have to apply to that and make sure you're... There's some TOS around that. Yeah, make sure your semantic markup schema tags, which we talked about in the first segment like of this that podcast, time. yeah, exactly, <laughs> are all set up properly. But there's massive opportunity there. It's not the sort of videos that we've had success with on Twitter before, which are like sort of long explanation mm-hmm. type informational videos. These specifically have been sort of trailers for movies. So quick little things that people can watch, maybe 30 seconds, maybe a minute. To go and beyond like the Vine model. Yeah, exactly. Those are starting to blow up really big on Twitter. So mm. again, you know, we've talked about video earlier. If you're not paying attention to video right now, it's going huge right now on Twitter. It's all over the social network. So well, just I think to... I think one there's a obviously the shareability aspect yeah. of it, but I think that it also does help set a quality difference between you and competitors and helps your stuff kind of sift to the top. I mean, it looks a lot different, especially when you get into the sharing and how that comes through in the feeds. And people do appreciate the effort that goes into it, but it's just another media format that people can help digest, but put some personality to it. I mean, even though you have profiles on Twitter and there is this personal aspect to it, putting a face to a tweet or a personality to it, I think does add a lot to it. And there's something to be said for that. With a little bit of training and some time invested, you can learn how to churn out videos in a pretty efficient manner and reap the benefits of it. So definitely take advantage of Twitter's new rollouts of these video sharing if it makes sense for your company. Yeah, I think that was a great point. And just simply that, you know, a lot of things we talk about on this show are just what are ways that make you stand out from everyone else. And this is another one of those ways. And this is why I like mentioning things like this, because it's the newest, latest thing. Not a lot of people are taking advantage of this. So if it applies to you or your business, you need to sort of look into this and see how well it could possibly fit in and see if you could take advantage. Well, and I think there's some aversion to it. I think a lot of people look at... Uh, how people film and they think, oh man, I'm going to have to get this crazy DSLR and I'm going to have to do all these things to videotape myself. What we're going to do this week, we're going to tweet out a link to a Wistia video filmed on an iPhone. And you will be shocked that if you do a little bit of investment and understand how the process works, the quality that you can get out of very accessible recording devices. I mean, we do our videos, which I would say are pretty high quality with a, you know, two or 300 point and shoot camera. So, Mm Definitely take some time, invest. Again, it's standing out from the crowd. The world is getting smaller and smaller, so you have to stand out if you want to be successful. So do it. Moving on to usability testing, this is something that I think that more people are starting to dedicate some time to. They're understanding the value of it. Yeah, just like CROs blowing up. Sure, sure. Usability testing and all of this. Don't do button copy tests. (laughs) But on the usability front, what I wanted to cover is a couple of different options in that front, but also some takeaways and things to be very mindful of. So first I wanted to cover, there are some services out there. If you don't have a usability team or assets within your company to do usability, there are some services that you can contract with to get some user feedback from. So there was one like Try My UI. Usability testing is one that we've talked about quite a bit on this show. Usability Hub, User Analytics, user zoom there's quite a few options out there what i wanted to actually spend some time on is 
you know, I'd recommend all those services because I think that sometimes when we're working on our own sites as marketers or developers or whatever we might be, we get very used to how our site flows, what we say on our site. We're very familiar with it. It is second nature. What I feel like these services oftentimes give us is a look into what someone fresh to the process might struggle with or not really understand And it can lead us to rethink how we're doing things on our website to really tackle that, answering maybe some of the questions why a lot of users are getting stuck here. As web marketing has evolved, first we had sites, we had pixel tracking, then we got Google Analytics and a little bit more of this analytics data flowing in so we could understand a little bit more of our websites. Then the evolution of things like Clicktail and some of these screen recording assets out there came on board, but I think some of them still don't necessarily answer questions as directly why people might be stuck here. We can come up with hypothesis. We can tell in the data that there's a big leakage point here or whatever it might be, but sometimes interacting face-to-face with people or getting user-submitted information is a better way to not just be doing guesswork, but actually getting feedback. So there is a couple things that I wanted to cover as things that you need to consider as negatives in these services. So what I've found in using these is over the history of these tools, what I've noticed is a change in the usership. So at first it started like couponing sites where it was people that were just interested in making a little bit of money on the side. And they were pretty representative of what I would consider non savvy web users or a little bit more savvy than the general population, but they weren't extreme advanced users of the net. Now what I've seen is more and more people have gone onto these sites to become armchair optimization experts. So you'll get a panel on some of these sites and people are trying to optimize your site. And that's really not what you might be going after or or what I would actually recommend for you to go after. You want the closest to your target demographic as possible, and you're not really looking for someone's tips on making your website better. You just really want the feedback from, this is Joe Schmo. These are the average users that come to my site, and what are they struggling with? I don't really care how you want to fix it. That's my job, or that's whoever we're working with's job. I want pure just feedback on why you might be struggling or why you really like this site. So be very careful when you're selecting your panels or looking at some of these videos that you're not getting people like that because, again, that might not be very representative of your test sample and where you might get the best learning from. Mm -hmm. I would also recommend play around with some user input services out there, things like Qualaroo. Olark has a service like that as well. There's a lot out there, but you might have seen these every once in a while where you'll come to a page, there might be a small a window that pops up from the bottom, they ask you a a quick question. Those can be great because they're really low impact to the site. And you would be surprised if you word your questions well and take good survey methodology to how you're constructing these, you get very valuable and immediate feedback from people. So there are some things to be concerned with, but usability is something that more and more people need to focus on because it can make some big differences The last thing I was going to cover as well is if your customer base is large enough, it might make sense that you have an internal panel of customers that you either pay or you generate some program, maybe it's a rewards club or a customer panel, where you take and carve out a portion of your existing customers 
and use them as a beta group. Bounce ideas off of them, or if you're launching a new site or a page, ask them what their feedback is, and you might, again, give them discounts or whatever it might be, and you have to be careful how much you're incentivizing this traffic. But that can oftentimes ensure that you have more of a a targeted population and the inputs that you want to understanding where your site might be struggling at certain places. Yeah, I think that last example you have there is sort of bringing what has always been done in the real world Mm -hmm. to the online marketing world, which oftentimes I feel like people go into online marketing. You know, we've been talking about video as as well on on this podcast. And people go into online marketing because they don't want to have to put in all that sort of effort. Right. But it's come to the point where you need to now. You need to actually do the sorts of things that real-world uh, companies have always done. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to put in the effort to make a video. It's really not that big of a deal. You need to do real-life consumer panels. It reminds me of back in, I don't know if you remember these days, at Marketing Experiments slash Labs when we discussed, because we were in a sort of high-traffic location, mm-hmm. setting up a sort of outside here, use some of our customers' websites and try to get live feedback from people. So an interesting way to do that. I don't really trust the data from those usability websites much anymore. Right. I was actually at uh, Website Optimization Summit 2014 in NYC from Marketing Sherpa this year, and that was something that was brought up several times by some of the speakers, which was that they're actually getting like optimization recommendations from some of these usability panels and not complaints or like confusion type points that you would expect from real life normal users. So Mm -hmm. definitely a complex thing to be in right now. And I don't know what the best angle really is for to say, just sort of give general advice. I don't know what the best angle is. I don't think there really is something. It's really often specific to what you're doing. Absolutely. And what you have available as assets to a company, like we talked about Mm -hmm. customer panels, maybe you're big enough for that. Maybe you're not to get more creative on how you get that true user input. That's something for you to figure out. But there are some tools out there for you. I would spend some time and maybe explore things like Campile or Qualaroo. And maybe you contract with a different company that asks real life people. I know there's companies out there like Creative Good that do in-person interviews wow, yeah. and try to find you target demographic people like this is Joe. He's 49. He works at a plumbing company and he's shopped at your store twice. Let's get his input. So there are options out there. You just need to explore what's going to be yeah, the best fit for you. One word of caution before we move on to Google Corner, which we need to wrap up pretty quickly here is, you know, things like online survey tools like Qualaroo. My one word of caution for that is that you tend to get the really passionate people who submit responses. So take that into consideration the when extremes, you look at the, one way or another. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Take that into consideration when you look at the results you get from things like that. So what's going on in the world of Google right now? Mountain View, always going yep. crazy. So let's cover a couple of things and we'll do it fairly quickly. You were going to mention new roll-up reports? Yeah, new roll-up reports in Google Analytics, which essentially allows people to look at an overall view of several websites or apps if you run multiple ones, which we do personally here. Mm -hmm. So it it really works out for companies who have multiple maybe acquisitions or an app and a website. You can look at those reports all in one now inside Google Analytics. Nice. Along the reporting front, there are some new changes coming to Google Analytics and the e-commerce space. So they've announced that they're going to have some enhanced e-commerce is what they talked about in their universal analytics. So you'll have to do the upgrade if you want to take advantage of this, which if you haven't, you need to start researching. But what is the change? What Google has done is they've now enabled a way where you can start tracking common user paths directly in your e-commerce. So you can understand things like 
what products were viewed, where they were viewed, when were they added to carts, how the checkout process works and where customers get lost, even details like payment methods and how that influences purchases behavior. So again, Google's doing some crazy stuff with e-commerce. Also what they've rolled out as well is they're trying to tackle two chief issues on that. And one that is on-site promotions. So you also will have integrations when you're running promotions on the site, how that influences purchase behavior. So if you're running a free shipping sale, things like that, how does that change up your users and their purchase patterns or behaviors? But also they've rolled in an easier way, rolling up returns and cancellations in there as well. And as marketers, I think that sometimes we lose sight of returns and cancellations as a business cost. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes we can optimize a process But if we're not paying attention to the holistic view of the business, returns, cancellations, things like that, you know, I can optimize my button or a landing page and get a lot more click-throughs and potentially leads or purchases. But if that's also leading to a lot of people canceling their orders or doing returns because it might have increased conversion, but I might have hid some very important factors on why we were scrubbing people from doing a particular behavior, that's additional cost to the business, not just in shipping returns and cancellation, the manpower that I need to incur for that or the cost. But now my brand might take a hit as well. So again, Google's rolling in a lot more data into e-commerce, giving you a wealth of information that I think has been merited for a long time. But now they're actually doing it. So check it out. Again, you'll need to update to Universal Analytics to take advantage of this. But if you're in the e-commerce space, definitely worth it. That's going to do it for us on episode number 62. Thank you so much for your time. If you enjoyed yourself, leave us a review. It would be greatly appreciated on iTunes or Stitcher. Share with a friend, a colleague, a lover, perhaps. That would be great. Also, you can give us a call, 904-270-9603. Rob waits by the phone day and night for your calls. If you have a topic to suggest, or maybe there's something you've been struggling with and you need some help, or you're just interested in what we have to say on something, you can certainly leave us a voicemail, or you can leave us a line at thebeardmarketers.com. We talked a lot about videos this week. You can also check out our videos there as well, along with the podcast. But again, thank you so much for your time, and we'll see you next week.